real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is February 19, 2020. There are concrete boots on February's feet. Can you feel it? How slow is this week when so much has happened? There's lots to talk about. We're going to talk about world politics. Yesterday, I got a break on a story that I've been working on for a very long time. Um, because I'm just trying to find information that's publicly available because I can't just say, you know, that I just know stuff or maybe use a line from Tyrion and say, I drink and I know things, but I don't drink. So maybe I drink coffee and I know things, or I do math and I know things because it's very, very silly to think that you could send a camera up the stream and that it would come back. Instead, you learn how to manipulate energy and you know how to do the right math and program the right biological entities that can do so. And you know, what better way than to determine what those entities are than a computer itself? I mean, it's ones and zeros. There's always an outcome, but that's coming up for my subscribers. That's not safe for airwaves. Now, yesterday, as I said, a lot happened. And I'm pretty sure a lot of you felt that. Not a shift, more like a cloud, kind of like it covers everything. Like a cloudy day, but the clouds aren't dark. They're white. Thickness, fog, I don't know how to explain it. And that's all coming from these attacks. We've been talking until we're blue in the face about how sick and ill our judicial arm is. We have citizens across the nation filing complaints against their district judges and federal judges. Those actions give control to the people. You know, I know that in some states you can sit there and you can, you know, file complaints left and right. Uh, you know, partisan judges, uh, unfair judges, paid off judges, in the swamp judges. You could do that. And probably nothing will come out of it. But there is paper trail. And we finally have people in the administration that are looking into it. Uh, so speaking of the Department of Justice, right, guys? So uh, apparently, you know, uh, Federal Judges Association calls an emergency meeting after, uh, you know, the Department of Justice intervened. You know, they forget how, you know, the all other presidents intervened, dismissing cases, intervening, guiding things. This kid was murdered even though he was a punk. Obama steps in and is like, oh, yeah. But this one bothers them. What is it that bothers them? That someone was given a really huge sentence when they shouldn't have? Is that it? So federal judges association should be calling a meeting and discussing the corruption they have. Emergency meeting to address growing concerns about the intervention of Justice Department officials. Hey, you know what we need? These federal judges to be knocked off their benches. Now, the U.S. District Judge, Cynthia Roof, she's in Philly, right? 
She heads this supposed independent federal judges association and said that they couldn't wait until spring for this to happen. Why? What did I tell you is happening in spring? You guys did. Do we not talk about SCOTUS gate? Didn't I tell you it starts on my birthday, which is in a couple of weeks, right? I told you that it sets off. Isn't it interesting how they can't wait until their scheduled conference in the spring? Ah, uh, because SCOTUS gate, there are plenty of issues we're concerned about. She said, and we'll talk about it all. Now, the aide for the judge said that the meeting was set for today at 1.30, even though the meeting was set for Tuesday, uh, you know, uh, which was yesterday. Um, remember, Roof was actually appointed by George Bush. And um, the group has like a thousand federal jurists. And they called for the meeting after President Trump had criticized the prosecutor's initial sentencing recommendation for his friend, Roger Stone. This is going to be very interesting. SCOTUS gate. Didn't I tell you guys like we knew it. My listeners know because they know that I don't send cameras up the stream. So you have to remember that this judge had dismissed the case against Hillary Clinton in regards to Benghazi. She's the one that ordered Paul Manafort to be put in solitary confinement. And, you know, that was a lot. And, you know, President Trump is right. Who is this woman and why is she sitting on the bench? And how did she treat crooked Hillary Clinton? Just asking, he says. Didn't I tell you? That's the judge that dismissed the case when our people were sacrificed so that she could line her pockets. She says, uh, Roof, that they're not going to get involved in the case. And, uh, you know, that they're not concerned about how these judges are going to rule. But they support any federal judge who does what's required. So what's required here? We see that all these people have gathered former justice, former keyword, former, 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 more than 2000 former justice department officials called Bard to resign. We all know it's going to be all those people that are under sealed indictments too, right? We know this, right? And it says um, that these people are claiming that the handling of the stone case it's flouted and, you know, there's no equal justice. Like, are you guys kidding me? Like kettle, black, kettle, black, black, kettle. Come on, man. Are we kidding? I think this is redemption. This is complete redemption. William is redeeming himself. I want to, I want to stick to that because I, I want to believe it. Because he's not the guy that's going to go after, you know, Someone that has, you know, he, he's, he's about real justice and about things that are important. So what are we seeing? What are we seeing? All these judges, weird judges. Wait. So what are we seeing? Judges like Judge um, Howell, right? Ran to Jackson's side. Oh, I'm in a supporter. Yep. You go show who you stand with because we want to see it. So we know exactly who we're cutting out. I want to know what benches we're ripping out of what butts, right? We're going to just pull them right under your butt. And I said, SCOTUS gate is going to be huge. And this is it. This is why they can't wait. They got to get ahead of it. But you know, some of us are already ahead. 
few years ahead, decades, and possibly months. This is where it is. This is where it's at. We need to be paying attention to the details of what they say. Listen to this news report by CBS in regards to this matter. More than 1,100 former officials with the Department of Justice are calling on Attorney General William Barr to step down. In a letter released yesterday, former employees cite the recent intervention from the DOJ in the Roger Stone case, where the sentencing recommendation for President Trump's long-term ally was lowered last week. CBS News White House correspondent Paula Reed joins us now. And Paula, you seem to be the perfect person to talk to because not only are you at the White House, but you also have a background in law. So who better to talk to? Uh, is Attorney General Barr's job in jeopardy? There's no indication that he's going to be out of a job anytime soon, but it's clear there is a crisis of confidence within the Justice Department. As you just noted, over 1,100 former justice officials who served in both the Republican and Democratic administrations uh, wrote this note arguing that Barr's interference in the Stone case, some of his other actions, that he poses a threat to the fair administration of justice. And in speaking with my sources, it's clear that Barr's relationship with a rank and file is really strained at the Justice Department. And it's not just about the Stone case. It's also about Barr's uh, continued, continued trend of tapping his U.S. attorneys to review or reinvestigate these issues that are of specific importance to the president. Uh, those include the origins of the Russia probe, even though that's been reviewed uh, at least once or twice now. Uh, he's also having a U.S. attorney look into all that evidence that Rudy Giuliani brought back in his suitcase from Ukraine. And most recently, uh, he is reviewing the case of former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn. And there are a lot of folks who are just asking whether the attorney general is using his stature to help bolster uh, the president and some of the accusations the president has made against his political opponents. So speaking of uh, the president, what is Barr's current relationship like with President Trump and the Justice Department? Well, CBS News has learned the president is quite pleased with Barr's overall performance as attorney general. Uh, this recent news that Barr is going to review the Mike Flynn case, the president was especially uh, pleased to hear that. And even though you saw the attorney general last week come out on national television and express some frustration with the president's tweets, it doesn't really appear to have had. Okay, so you see what they did right here? Oh, yeah, you're the most qualified because, you know, uh, you have a law degree, so you can tell. Actually, what she's doing is psychology. Oh, tell us, how's their relationship? Do they love each other? Is this a problem? How is it working out? They seem like they're not liking each other. Tell us. Do some psychoanalysis because you're the expert, of course, that I've just beefed up and told everyone how qualified you are. So go ahead and tell us. What you believe is happening. Had any impact uh, on their overall working relationship. William Barr appears to be exactly what the president has wanted, what he felt he didn't have in his first attorney general, Jeff Sessions. He believes he is someone who is protecting his interests and running that department the way the president wants him to. Now, does the White House or Department of Justice have any messaging plans to reinforce public trust in the independency of the DOJ? Because as you mentioned, uh, Barr did take to national television recently and uh, claimed that the president's tweets were kind of undermining that credibility. Yeah, so he already said it, and it's undermining everything. So come on, further psychoanalyze. Let's tell people how we know that President Trump and William Barr are not uh, seeing things eye to eye. 
Yeah, and I think that's where you saw really the public messaging because we've learned, CBS News has learned that prior to that interview, Barr had expressed his frustration to the president uh, and sort of laid out the reasons why the tweets are not helpful in building the credibility of the Justice Department. Clearly, the president didn't listen, um, but you don't have to go on national television to reiterate a message to the president of the United States when you have a direct line. That interview is part of an effort to talk to the public, uh, not only to the rank and file, but also to the general public, who really this has become such a controversy. It's really been bubbling at the Justice Department for quite some time. But with what happened in the Roger Stone case, it really sort of bubbled over uh, into to the national spotlight. So there you see Barr was trying to message to the country. Uh, that he's an independent actor. But even though he said that, uh, his record at the Justice Department, all the things he's done since the Mueller investigation came out, and he characterized that in a way that even Robert Mueller said wasn't accurate all the way through all these U U.S. attorney reviews. Uh, it's not clear when he says he's independent if that is actually true. Those are some really good points. Now, I want to look ahead to this week. Roger Stone is set to be sentenced on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Is that still expected to happen despite the new controversy surrounding his case? Well, that's a great point because folks have to remember that his sentence, even though Barr intervened and recommended uh, actually no specific sentence, but he took away that, that nine to seven year recommendation, it ultimately is up to a judge to decide how much time Stone receives. He is still scheduled to be a sentence on Thursday, but he has asked once again uh, for a new trial. He made a recommendation or a request for a new trial uh, about a week or so ago. That was denied. He has made that request once again, and tomorrow the judge will have a conference on that. Now, most of that request is under seal, so we don't know entirely the basis for that. But we'll hear likely uh, something for the, from the judge, who has also been a target of President Trump, tomorrow during this conference. And then it will be more clear if the scheduling is still on for Thursday. Now, well, it's shaping up to be yet another busy week. Paula? <laughs> busy week? Guys, this week has been moving as if we're in, like, a tar pit. A tar pit. You know, uh, the, the most incredible week, I would say, in regards to all of this happening all at once. Justice is coming. They cannot stop what's coming. They are freaking out. And so they should. So they should because it is not going to fly anymore. You know, uh, this was a power up with the impeachment. It was a complete power up. You know, and let's just put it simply, <laughs> it's over. They can't do anything, nothing. And the more they talk, the more they dig. They dig a hole for themselves that they're going to have to dig themselves out of. And so this is, this is a really big deal. You want to hear swamp creatures talking about bar? Here we go. A guy that's known him for 40 years. He knows exactly who William Barr is, just like many of us, do, uh, many of us do. And look at what he's saying. Our crime and justice correspondent, Shimon Prokopas. Shimon, now how unusual and significant is this letter calling for the attorney general, William Barr's resignation? Yeah, it's certainly the number, the number of people that are calling for this resignation. These are former senior level people at the Department of Justice. You have some that are now even defense attorneys representing people accused uh, of crimes that are calling for the attorney general uh, to step down. There's a lot of concern, very clear in reading this letter. There is a lot of concern inside the legal community as to what the attorney general uh, has been doing. And the key thing in all of this is the integrity of the system. Uh, and a lot 
lot of them are very concerned that that is now lost. If you just look at the last week, what the Attorney General uh, has done. In the beginning of the week, we had uh, Rudy Giuliani, some of the information that he was getting in the Ukraine investigation. There's now an invest That part has now been given uh, to a U.S. attorney. Uh, you then have, of course, the Roger Stone, him uh, getting involved in the Roger Stone sentencing himself, saying that the sentencing was just too much, filing a motion, a memorandum with the court saying that the, that the sentencing by the line assistance was too high and they felt that it should be lower. And then, of course, we end the week uh, where we get word that he is now investigating the Michael Flynn investigation. Uh, so time and time again, certainly people in the legal community feeling that he, in so many ways, the attorney general, is trying to help out the president. And then when you look at the letter uh, and what they wrote in this letter, they say that the attorney general's actions, Mr. Barr's actions in doing the president's personal bidding, unfortunately speak louder than his words. Those actions and the damage they have done to the Department of Justice's reputation for integrity and the rule of law require Mr. Barr to resign. But because we have little expectation he will do so, it falls to the department's career officials to take appropriate action to uphold their oaths of office and defend nonpartisan apolitical justice. Okay, let's stop right there. How many cases did Barack Hussein Obama involve himself in? Tons of them. Repeatedly. Ongoing investigations, trials, everything. Remember when Obama's DOJ intervened to help Jeffrey Epstein? What about Bush? Let's, let's do this. Reagan, he intervened in a lot of cases when, you know, everyone was going against Young. He instructed. Are we kidding? Are we kidding? I mean, oh, they sneeze, but no big deal. But he does. Come on, man. It's his job. It's his job to intervene. It's his job to be the voice of the people. Oh, my gosh, is Seth Rich coming down? Oh, my gosh, are they in trouble? Remember, sentencing for uh, Assange is happening. He's going to be here any day now, any day now. And 117 people said he needs to get out of the United Kingdom, out of the crown's prison because they are melting his brain. Again, this is very in line with what's happening right now because this is exactly it. Wait till he scowed his gate. Oh my gosh. I've been talking about that secret meeting in January with Chief Justice Roberts. I've been talking about it. God knows I've been talking about it. And God knows just what happens when you're hovering right over. It is going to be incredible. But look, career officials take appropriate action to uphold their oaths of office and defend nonpartisan apolitical justice. How is this sentencing not politicized? Tell me in what universe do you get nine years for supposedly lying to Congress when you can put down officials that have taken the oath of office to protect our national security, our people, our borders, our lives, our everything, and lied straight out, admitted to lying, and they keep lying, and, and they get nothing? Uh, this is politicized at its very finest. Jackson's bench is trembling, and so it should. It will be yanked right from under her butt. 
this. And Wolf, essentially here, they're saying, look, uh, if you are an employee of the Department of Justice and you see wrongdoing, come forward, report it to the proper officials, because that is the only way that anything put, could potentially be done to correct the problem, Wolf. A very significant point indeed. Uh, and related to all of this, Roger Stone, uh, one of the president's longtime associates and friends, he's set to be sentenced later this week. Uh, what's the latest? What are you hearing? Right. That sentencing is supposed to take place on Thursday. But there's been so much drama surrounding the case that the judge, Judge Amy Berman Jackson, has decided that she needs to talk to the lawyers that are now involved in the case. She's called for a conference call tomorrow. We're going to have, obviously, Stone's attorneys on the call, but we're also going to have the new prosecutors from the Department of Justice who uh, are now overseeing the case after those four other prosecutors who tried Roger Stone, investigated Roger Stone for the past two years, uh, have all withdrew from the case. Key tomorrow is that it's going to be the first time we could potentially hear any kind of reaction from the judge as to the prosecutors withdrawing and, of course, the attorney general uh, filing that new sentencing memorandum. All right, Shimon, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Thank you very much, Shimon Prokopez, reporting. Uh, joining us now, one of the former Justice Department officials calling for Barr's resignation. Donald Ayer served as the deputy attorney general under Republican President George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, okay, why does he keep saying Republican president? We all know what kind of cloth the Bushes were cut from. I've already told you, they were funding the Nazis. They're in it. They're deep in it. They've been scamming every single one of us for decades. You think you've been voting. You think there was like, what, transfer of power, of power from one party to the other? One in the same, man. One in the same with a few little random people in the middle that tried to make a difference and were quashed and others that came up to the surface and were eliminated. <laughs> this idiot. Under Herbert Walker Bush. Here we go. Thanks so much for coming in. You bet. Uh, so you're not just a former official. You were the number two official at the Justice Department, Deputy Attorney General. And in an article in The Atlantic, you just wrote this, and, I, and I'll read a, a couple sentences for our viewers. Bill Barr's America is not a place that anyone, including Trump voters, should want to go. It is a banana republic where all are subject to the whims of a dict dictatorial president and his henchmen. To prevent that, we need a public uh, uprising demanding that Bill Barr resign immediately or failing that be impeached. Those are your words. Why do you believe he's such a threat? Well, uh, it, I think the immediate uproar about it clearly relates to the interference in these criminal cases. And the criminal cases that the department handles are in many ways the most sensitive. That's the area where the government has the greatest impact on people. And that's where I think everybody has a very strong feeling that politics and personal bias have got to be kept entirely out of it. And now we're seeing that, in fact, biases and politics are creeping into it. But it's only the tip of that iceberg that we're talking about there. One of the... Politicized and intervened. Are we kidding? What about hands up, don't shoot? Wasn't that political intervention? The guy was a criminal. And what happened was... Uh, a little bit over the top, I would say, shooting like, but we don't know because they won't tell you. They drive the narrative. But other than that, the president still got involved and he looked kindly upon those that commit the crimes and ran from the cops and all of that was happening. And you know, that, that was very important that he did it because he had problems with Flint, Michigan as well. 
He had all these problems. There was a video that was put out, and I'm still trying to find it, where they put it together. And I'm going to actually email Roseanne Barr um, and try to get her attention because I really want it. It was spectacular, showing the hypocrisy of Barack Hussein Obama, mocking those that were drinking the water from Flint. Like, he enjoyed that they were suffering. But this is lies at its finest. This is how you can see everything they tell you is a lie. And it is so difficult for us right now to be able to discern fact from fiction if we're watching attentively, right? You need to listen to your inner gut. Listen to what your voice inside tells you. Does this sound right? Does this sound wrong? If it sounds wrong, it may be wrong. That's what we need to be doing is looking inside, you know, and understanding because listen to what this guy's going to tell you who's known Bill Barr for 40 years and knows exactly who he is. And that terrifies him even more because if this is, uh, you know, the third edition of Godfather where we've got redemption, oh boy, he knows exactly what's to come. And the clearest statement of them was in the memo that he wrote. He wrote a memo <clears throat> back uh, in the middle of 2018, in June of 2018, um, when he was talking about essentially that the Mueller investigation was ill-conceived. It's a 19-page memo, and he... This placed, is before he became attorney it general. It was. It was. And some people think it was sort of an audition memo to be attorney general. Um, it talks about the powers of the president are such that even having this investigation was improper. And he specifically says that the president is the executive branch and that he necessarily has complete and unlimited discretion to oversee criminal cases. Um, he actually said the thing that the president said not long ago when the president said, I have the power uh, to interfere in, in the Justice Department matters and investigations, but I choose not, I haven't done so yet. So Barr has that view. And then that vision that Barr expressed well before he became attorney general has been carried through in many, many things he does. Many people will remember back in March when he whitewashed the Mueller report, which had very powerful evidence of obstruction of justice. And Mr. Barr, before anyone saw the report outside the department, uh, wrote a letter saying there was no sufficient evidence, and then he had a press conference, and then finally it was released. His view was clear that this was legally insufficient, but in fact, when people read the report, they saw it wasn't. He he contradicted the finding of the inspector general who found that the uh, FBI investigation of the Russia um, messing around in our election was, was properly predicated and, and overseen in an unbiased way. He said, no, that wasn't true. It isn't because IGs are under investigation, too. Like what the we all know this. Ha. Huh? Desperate, aren't they? You've known Bill Barr for about 40 years. Right? I have. 40 years, and now you're calling him in this article in the Atlantic Un-American. You say, given our national faith and trust in the rule of law, no one, no one can subvert. It is not too strong to say that Bill Barr is un-American. Un-American, strong words. Has he changed over these 40 years or, or what? I, I, don't, I don't know that he's changed because he's always had a very strong view that the executive ought to have a great deal of power. I've never known quite how far... It would go, and there was never any reason to test it because when he was attorney general under George H.W. Bush, George H.W. Bush had no interest in being an autocrat. So now we're faced with a situation where Bill Barr has won the job of attorney general under a president who apparently does want to be an autocrat. Now, the reason that I say he's un-American 
is because I think it's fair to say, and I think most people would agree with me, that the central tenet of our legal system and our justice system is that no person is above the law. Um, we have a, a government, as, as Edward Levy said back when he really reformed the Justice Department after Watergate, uh, it's a government of laws and not men was the word he used. Um, and, and Bill Barr's vision is quite different. Bill Barr's vision is that there is one man, one person who needs to be above the law, and that is the president. And I, he's carried that out. This is the really important thing. He said that before he became attorney general, but he's now carried it out in many steps since he became What did you think of what he said in that ABC News interview last week when he urged the president to stop tweeting because that's interfering in the Justice Department's legal actions? Well, I think I think that was an effort, essentially, so that he would maybe encourage the president. I don't know if he expected it to happen, and that sounds like it's not going to. Uh, but maybe he hoped the government wouldn't blow his cover. He didn't say anything about stopping doing the things that he was doing. He didn't say that he was going to stop interfering in criminal cases that had been handled in a, a usual and ordinary way. Wait a minute. How many how many AGs have been involved in cases before in the past? Tons of them. So, oh, it doesn't say he didn't say he was going to stop it. He just told, hey, you know, you know, when you're tweeting, it's causing me issues, man. Back off. This is all for optics because now we plant the seed. Oh, he's going to resign. He's going to leave. He's going to go because President Trump is getting involved and you leak it to the right people. So that way, you know where you've got to send the plumbers and who you need to shut out from conversation. This is how it goes. These people are terrified of what he is capable of doing and what he is doing and how he's doing it. So uh, this is how you can see that even his close friends that have worked with him, that know exactly who he is, what he's done, they know just how dangerous it is. So they're coming out fighting but, you know, the judges, on the other hand, with their really quick meeting, ah, uh, it's coming. SCOTUS gate is coming. And that's going to be off the hook, right? Completely off the hook. It's going to be a lot of fun. So after this break, we're, continu- we're going to continue a little bit on AG Barr and what reporting has happened. And we're going to continue on other topics like Turkey, Idlib, Syria, and Russia that I've been talking about for a while. And more to come. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, So, you know, with Attorney General Barr, we have a lot of things going on, right? But injustice in general is the problem. So everyone was pointing to Anthony Eric Ciaramella or Eric Anthony Ciaramella. Everyone was pointing to the NSC, which is a problem. Why is Nathan Kroger still there? Hello. Why is he in the White House? Why is Janine still congressional liaison? She is the telephone. But I digress. I should tweet about that again today. Uh, I I already did. I'll do it again. Uh, So... What we have here is a coup of a different kind. You know, the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, they all serve at the pleasure of the president. Every single one of them, all the appointees. Now, today, you guys are going to hear about a guy named uh, John Rude. Rude was, uh, you know, one of the top Pentagon peeps, right? And he totally... He's the next, you know, impeachment 2.0. You know how they're going to try to bring it back up. Well, 
he's the one um, that um, met with Esper, right? He met with Esper uh, today as well. And they're talking because he's resigning. Because apparently he had emailed and warned Esper on July 25th when the phone call happened not to stop $250 million in military aid to Ukraine. First of all, let's get this straight. Why are we giving them $250 million? Like it's none of our business. Why are we giving them that money? Think about it. Why am I giving them money to defend themselves? They're not part of the United States. They're part of the European Union. Merkel's been rounding up every single piece of property, every single bank. So is France and the crown. They've all taken all that money. Didn't the EU get a deal where they're getting billions or trillions from the crown? Well, why aren't they giving money to the Ukraine for military aid? Why are we doing it again? Explain that to me. Let's explain that for a second. Why are we giving them money when they're part of the EU? It's like us not giving money to the state of Kentucky to defend them. Well, not Kentucky. They're not border. So let's say it's like us not giving money to uh, Montana to defend themselves against the Canadians. But suddenly Poland's like, here's $250 million, Montana, so you could defend yourself. I mean, what does that say about us? <laughs> Pretty losers, right? We're losers if we're not supporting our own states. What does that tell you about the EU? Think about it. Why are we supposed to give them $250 million for military aid? Why can't we put that $250 million to help our elderly get access to care, help our veterans get better access to care, maybe take down our deficit? Why are we giving them that money again? So this clown supposedly emailed um, uh, Mark Esper about uh, not blocking the aid that he himself Okay, Rude himself had pushed forward in 2018 for them to get. Okay, he's the undersecretary. Remember that. Uh, let me tell you something. One thing soldiers don't like is being undermined. And Esper was the secretary of the army. And I was so proud that he was at boot camp when my daughter was. Um, but $250 million. He certified that in May to Congress that they were eligible to receive $250 million. He went to the Democrat Congress and confirmed that. And then, and then after May in July, he sent an email saying, you know, um, that he shouldn't, uh, you know, he warned, he warned Esper, Hey, sir, you don't want to like stop the aid. Like what? You're fired, dude. You're fired, dude. You're telling me that because they qualify for $250 million, I better not stall it. I should just hand it over. What? This is where we're at. Huh. You know, everybody around the world is realizing that the apocalyptic movies that we see where big corporations are running everything is actually reality. The Democrats are not Americans running on the voices of Americans. They're not. They're mere puppets. And now everyone's going to say George Soros. There's people above him. There's people above him. He is your public face. You know, Dershowitz in the last hallelujah, now that we're investigating art and stuff, 
says, oh, well, I know for a fact that, you know, uh, George Soros asked, you know, Obama to investigate a person. You think it's a person? A person? Experian was a person? Health insurance information hacked. Humana. Or was it Aetna? Or was it, I don't know, Fidelity? I don't know, Fidelis? I don't know, Molina? Can't say that, but it was one of them. When are we going to know about that? So all of that information was hacked. Uh, just a coincidence, of course. Of course, a coincidence. Which, by the way, coincidentally, remember how I told you Global Security Group, you know, Brennan's little baby that he gave birth to where the site went down and all of you that are listeners checked it up and saw it. Well, guess what? It's back up again. Like what the, huh? It was removed and now it's back up. Are you kidding? Is this for real? What is going on here? We took it down and brought it back up. Why? How? When? Who? What? When? What? Mm. This is terrifying to the average person to understand it is hard to conceive and it is difficult to appreciate okay because that's it you have to think when george soros calls people who is it that runs and remember i've told you i've met this guy i actually helped him do a deal new york community bank wouldn't be who they are without without george soros and that's a fact. You can take that to the bank and prove me wrong if I'm wrong. Because I might have insider information on that. So, George Soros, who runs when he calls? Everybody. Who does he fund? Everybody. But now we see Bloomberg coming out of the woodwork. Who is Bloomberg? Bloomberg is a, is a maid. Soros. A public figure. Kind of like Gates. The ones that they recruit after the fact, the ones that they take on. And you have to think, have you guys seen how much of the media all of these clowns own? I mean, all of it is bought. It's like, what, six companies that own everything? Six. Six huge companies that control the narrative that tell you how to walk, talk, eat, look, act, and think. You know, it's kind of like how Bloomberg's <laughs> news source Bloomberg said that he's in the lead he just bought himself a spot and they did it to entertain it make it look realistic because in essence even President Trump tweeted out oh you know he's giving a lot of money away you know to the Democrats I, I don't remember the exact tweet but that's exactly what he's doing he's covering their debt that's the only reason he's there oh you must think for yourself you must dig deep down inside to that innate quality of listening to your soul that energy that vibrates that frequency inside of you it vibrates it tells you huh man we're gonna have some hot spring it's going to be super hot, man. This is why they're rushing to have meetings now. This is it. I was thinking, how do you tell the world what's really going on sometimes? Like, how do you do? Do, do you sit down and just like do like an address and be like, yo, you can't. You got to give it in installments because the, the chipping away has been done over a long period of time. And, you know... It's not possible to just unseal everything and just go, boom, here you go. It's like way too much. 
And because it's way too much, super fast at once, it'll be denounced. It'll be pushed back. There will be pushback on it. And that's something you don't want. You don't want pushback. You want people to take it. You want people to run with it. You want people to be like, yo, this is it. Like for real, this is it. That's what you want. So how do you do that? Uh, you delay things like delay people testifying and you allow for certain things to come out and percolate, you know, in the ether so that people are more comfortable with the thought of something like this happening. That that's basically it. I mean, sometimes (laughs) we let them leak things because maybe it's necessary that, um, We have the same clowns that are in trouble, you know, tell you about it. I mean, that's, that's, that's how it's done sometimes because how do we reach out to those people that are infected, infected in the sense of not being able to think for themselves that can't listen to that inner frequency. I want you guys to, um, take a listen to what, uh, the DOJ says in regards to AG Barr stepping down over President Trump (laughs) tweeting. I can't believe that they're really saying that. But anyway, take a listen. As if Attorney General Barr is going to be intimidated by tweets. Mm. Same guy that hung out on the beach with Noriega sipping drinks. Are you kidding? Okay, so here's what Fox had to say about it. I do make his job harder. I do agree with that. I think that's true. He's a very straight shooter. Social media for me has been very important because it gives me a voice because I don't get that voice in the press. Okay, there's the president addressing claims uh, that Attorney General Barr apparently says that the president's tweets are making it impossible to do his job. This is the DOJ shoots down rumors that Barr is planning to resign over those tweets. Here to weigh in is former U.S. Attorney Brett Tolman, who served as chief counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee. He joins us right now from Salt Lake. Uh, good morning to you, Brett. Good morning, Steve. Okay, I'm looking at the Drudge Report right now. It says, Barr warns Trump, I'll walk if you keep, uh, if you keep tweeting. Showdown at justice. Do you think this stuff is true? I don't. I, I know that uh, the attorney general obviously expressed some frustration, uh, but that's not the way he communicates. He's not going to be, you know, dealing with ultimatums. He wants to do his job. He wants to have uh, as, as great an ability to to do the job in a meaningful way. And, and that's who, look, that's who the, this attorney general is. Uh, but that's also who the president is. I mean, we saw him out on the tarmac. He said, yep, I'm making his job harder but it's because the press so all these people right here are against me it's my only way to get my voice out yeah the the attorney general has been taking action because he thinks it's the decision that is right based on the law and the facts the president tweeting why does he make it hard because the president lives in a political world and and has to deal with the political aftermath of many decisions but the attorney general is is a strong um, level-headed calm you know individual that wants to 
plod through every day and make as good a decisions as he can. Sure. And then there's the hypocrisy that uh, some have cited where there are a bunch of uh, Democrats, uh, members of the Department of Justice and whatnot, investigators, who are calling on the Attorney General to resign over the Roger Stone situation. But uh, the hypocrisy is uh, the double standard. When Eric Holder uh, got involved and asked was asked to uh, get involved in politically sensitive cases. Where was the outrage then, Brett? Yeah, you notice there there weren't letters signed by thousands of conservative, you know, former U.S. attorneys or deputy attorney generals or attorneys general calling for Holder to resign. There is a double standard, and and the aggravation really is. You now see Congress jumping on that. And, and look at look at the result. You have a president who's who's doing his job. He's he's pardoning people in meaningful analysis. Why is he having to do that? Because Congress and the Democrats are too concerned about the attorney general and this president than doing their job and passing legislation that could fix our criminal justice system. Ultimately, don't you think this is just phase two after the impeachment thing didn't work out? So now the narrative is going to be, look, this president guy, he is breaking all the rules. And you've got these uh, well-regarded people of the law enforcement community saying he's got to go. And we're going to hear that right up to Election Day. Yeah, Steve, I think you you create the the very fire you claim to be reporting on by by you know, putting into the media that there's controversy or putting into the media that there's a strain between the attorney general and the president. And you see a lot of that going on. Um, and that's what they're focused on. Let's let's impeach him now for for a tweet that he's going to send out and for the attorney general doing his job. Uh, I think uh, that's probably about right. I don't think the president's going to stop tweeting, but that's just <laughs> that's just the way it works. I don't think so. All right. Uh, Brett Tolman joining us today from Salt Lake. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And we don't want him to stop tweeting. That's why we voted for this guy, because he brings it straight to the people. He tells us exactly what's going on, and nothing's going to change that. And that is what the beauty of having a president for the people, by the people is. That they will be direct with their constituents. They will tell their voters, their base, which is the people of the United States, the truth. No matter how much... It may not be liked. Now, we talked about um, a few things today, mostly about Barr and the swamp. And we're going to revisit some old stuff we talked about. Remember, I had talked to you guys about the security conference in Munich in 2018 and 19. But then this one happened, too. And it was in the 2019 conference that Biden had conversations uh, with other governments. That's where it was discussed that he's going to run. But see, no one actually focused on that because at that point we were still investigating. So we were watching and we needed to play dumb, but we knew exactly where to look. So now it comes out with this conference in Munich, right? Um, having to do with Ukraine again, because it was there where it was decided that Biden's going to run. I've told you that. That is where he was mulling the idea of it. And people were like, yo, do it. Yeah, you so need to do it. Yeah, let's go. Do it, do it, do it. Right? He was mulling the idea. And here we are now. (laughs) 
in a very interesting situation where we're monitor again, monitoring again. They think we're just going to watch and look. And we caught them red-handed with the Logan Act. I mean, we could have gotten them last time. But here, they're meeting with the Iranian uh, leaders. And, you know, that's a really hostile nation right now. And so uh, Chris Murphy, to defend himself, you know, went public with the information because he might think it's okay that it's, oh, business as usual to say things like this. It's business as usual to put it out there, but it really isn't. It's called uh, the Logan Act for a reason. We haven't really tried anyone on that. I mean, John Kerry got away with it. Biden got away with it. I think it's time we put our foot down. And no more should this be allowed because, you know, in essence, I think that Yovanovitch did and acted in the same manner. She went against our president, against our policies. So in the next hour, we're going to talk about the Logan Act. We're going to talk about undermining actors. We're also going to talk about Seth Rich again because this, I tell you, this is it. Like I've been saying, I've been very quiet for the past couple of years. I had reached out to a couple of journalists to get a couple of feelers to see if any of them had received any information or what they knew. Um, but it turned out, you know, they only knew a portion of it. And I think that's the best way, not knowing who you're working with and you know that, and if the other person's a good guy, even better for you, right? Because then you're all going for the same goal. You're all striving for the same thing. So in the next hour, we're going to talk Turkey first, Munich second, well, Turkey, Russia, Syria, rolling into Iran and Munich. And then uh, we're going to talk about Seth Rich. And, um, you know, I'm going to tell you um, a little bit more on what is to come. You know, I did tell you years ago that Flynn is never going to be sentenced. So I want you to know that I also did tell you that I have, you know, I'm going to leave it there. I'm just not going to go there. Let's just say finishing off, we'll do a couple of predictive statements. Um, you know, which July was I talking about? Scott Adams should one of them, but, um, things happen as they're supposed to happen for a reason. Either that be good or bad. And I'm, and I'm learning it the hard way. I could tell you that for a fact. Uh, but what I want you all to know is as long as we pray, as, as long as we stay united as a people, and as long as we support this president that has spoken louder than anyone before, you will see this silent war. This civilized civil war become as loud as anything, louder than anything you can conceive. So this is what we have to remember that things happen for a reason. They happen in the way they happen. Oh gosh, I need to.
Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Again, February 19th, 2020, and this is hour two of the Tory Says Show. Now, the first hour, as they tweeted out, was pre-recorded at about 6 a.m. this morning after I literally found the energy, and I don't know how. Sometimes I wonder how I work on such little sleep. I was busy doing a lot of math yesterday morning, tons of it, quite early. Anyway... So I pre-recorded my first hour and the reason I did that is because I was kind of, I got some news, I wanted to put it out there, but then I also wanted to pause it live because I was listening to it with you sitting at my computer just in case the news didn't break or in case it did too. I just wanted you to see that the news is not led by the mainstream media. It's led by you. It's led by us. Because we are the news now. And what people need to um, pretty much believe and understand is that time isn't linear and that each and every single one of us has power beyond anything you would imagine. In our reality, your shape, your fitness level, your appearance really doesn't matter. It doesn't. In our real reality, in alternate ones where they're governed by media, it does. Your mind, when it's completely free, can travel because your spirit, your energy inside is shiny, bright, and your body doesn't really matter. And you are able to realize and see things that you normally wouldn't. For example, before we get into Turkey, I want you to ask yourself, you know, I've mentioned it before. And like I said, on my subscribe star, we're going to be talking about IBE. Think, what does AMD really stand for? And what is an IBE? And how does AMD try to use IBEs? And you're going to be like, whoa, what are these acronyms? We'll get to it. But it's really, really important because technology now is driving everything. What you hear, what you see, what you feel, hmm? and how you respond is all driven by technology. Gray matter. Uh, that Bloomberg. That mini Mike. You know why he's running? Same reason that Biden did. Does not want to get in trouble. And in exchange, he's paying off debt. You think because you get on a platform that you can't be held accountable? You got to think again. Really got to think again. So now, remember back in 2018 where I was telling you that the war is going to spark? Remember how all my listeners, I'm, I'm happy, know that Russia has a huge presence in Syria. Their, their, their presence is massive because it's the only naval base that they have access to with the Eastern Mediterranean. And what city did I say in Syria was going to be key? Idlib. Idlib is key. 
Now, depending on the math that I do depends on where I land and how I pop up. So let's say I was on the number 11. It came up that Russia and Turkey were fighting over Idlib because that kind of aligns with the reality that we have been shaped and formed to see today. And this is all coming to fruition. All of it. Now, Erdogan has been saying for the past two days that it has, that Turkey has no intention on invading Syria. This was two days ago. Went on a public stage, said it on Saturday, said it on Sunday. We do not want to invade Syria, right? And Turkey is denying that they killed a deal with Russia about Idlib. Here we go again on Idlib. You know, no one's paying attention because that's exactly what they want. They don't want you looking. It was today that it was announced that Russia, you know, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei uh, Lavrov, right? He said that no news demands were made uh, at talks between Russia and Turkish officials that were aimed at de-escalating the tension in Syria's Idlib. And that was said when he was hanging out with who? Ayman al-Safadi, which is the, you know, foreign minister for Jordan. And remember, Jordan, Egypt, Israel, Cyprus, Greece, and Syria are all on the same page. Now, Turkey today, after so many days saying they're not going to do anything, they actually threatened to attack They said they will attack Idlib. And this is after they spoke with Russia today. So one might say, and the fake news will tell you, that Russia has underestimated the Turkish resolve. In actual fact, you have to think of this. For eons now, Constantinople was always Constantinople and it became Istanbul. Who's going to fix that? The Russians are. Uh, Here is a clip from TV7 Israeli News talking about Russia-led Syria offensive threatened by Turkish counter-offensive. What side is Israel on? Oh, yeah, they're on Russia's side. TV7 Israel News is made possible thanks to your generous donations. Shalom, good evening. This is TV7 Israel News broadcast to you from Jerusalem and in today's top stories. The European Union failed to unanimously agree on a united response to the United States Mideast Peace Initiative, commonly known as the so-called Deal of the Century. The European Union has finally agreed upon launching a new naval and air mission in the eastern Mediterranean for the purpose of enforcing an arms embargo on conflict-ridden Libya. Syrian regime forces with the backing of you. Wait, let's stop that for a second. While he gives you the recap of the news that you're not getting here. What did the European Union say? Oh, they're sending out aircraft to not allow weapons in Syria. Wait a minute. Um, uh, in Libya, and I said, Syria, wait a minute. I thought that they had um, said that uh, Turkey was taking care of Libya. So 
why would they put an arms embargo on Libya when Libya is trying to liberate themselves from the United Nation because they've taken over Tripoli and handed it over to Turkey? Can you see the hot mess? Forces with the backing of Iranian proxies and Russian aerial support made significant. Wait a minute. So they're saying Syria, Russia, and Iran are together? This is very confusing, isn't it? ...gains in Syria's northwestern Aleppo and Idlib regions in spite of Turkish threats of an imminent escalation. So this was a confusing intro, wasn't it, guys? Wait a minute. What do you mean Russia led in there with Iran and what? I'm confused. Let's see what he has to say. The European Union failed to unanimously agree on a united response to the United States Mideast Peace Initiative, commonly known as the so-called Deal of the Century. The foreign ministers of the European 27-member bloc held a foreign policy meeting in Brussels, during which the EU's High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security, Josep Borrell, made every effort to consolidate a united European position to no avail. While several countries, including Ireland, reportedly demanded to take preemptive measures that might deter Israel from annexing parts of the West Bank, Hungary and the Czech Republic, on the other hand, are adamantly thwarting any publication of a formal EU position on U.S. President Donald Trump's peace initiative. In light of the deep European divide over Washington's peace plan and Israeli-Palestinian conflict in general, Borrell revealed after the meeting that the foreign minister sufficed with hearing a report about his meetings with U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and White House Senior Advisor Jared Kushner last week, adding that a more in-depth discussion on the so-called deal of the century will be scheduled for next month. It is important to mention that the French and German foreign ministers met with their counterparts from Egypt and Jordan at the Munich Security Conference over the weekend, during which they discussed the possibility of launching a joint European-Arab initiative that will counter the Trump administration's peace initiative. Ha! Huh. So that's key. See, we always have to listen to the news. The left, the right, the good, the bad, in between, the confusing, and the purposeful disinformation. So here we have that the Arabs, like Jordan and stuff, are thinking of working with the EU to counter President Trump when it was King Abdullah that helped formulate this agreement. So this is where you can see the show. You can see how they're orchestrating the movie and the part you have to play, which is to be mesmerized with words. Now, does this person just reiterate what other people are saying? Possibly. Does he believe it? Possibly. But what are the facts? You know the facts. Nevertheless, such a measure seems unlikely due to the conflicting positions among the member states of the European Union. The near-to-complete inability to find common ground on foreign policy is apparently frustrating the lately appointed EU top diplomat, who stressed the need for Europe to develop an appetite for power that will transform Europe's willingness to act. Europe has to develop, what I can say, an appetite for power. The willingness to act. The willingness to act, because right now they've been passive. They've been in the shadows. He's like, if you want to counter this, you need to come out of the shadows. You need to start working faster, harder, more aggressive, and stop playing footsie. We need to get out of the shadows, is what he's telling them. When President Trump said, 
Europe is a lot more dangerous than Iran, than North Korea, and China. He meant it. And this is where you're seeing it happen right now in front of your eyes. Really act, not to be doing comments and, and saying every day that we really are concerned, very much concerned, extremely concerned. We should be able to act. The EU foreign policy chief further asserted the need for member states to forget about their own interests for the purpose of bolstering the European Union's wider capacity, which may require to revoke the presiding unanimous accord over EU foreign policy actions. We cannot have the same strategic vision of the world. We have to build another one based not on the past, but on the future. Not on the roots of our history, but on the challenges that we are going to face in the future. And this is the culture that we should be developing in our Foreign Affairs Council. Forget a little bit about everyone's own interest and to look for a wider capacity of acting. And when there is not unanimity, the remaining majority have to act. Returning to the EU foreign policy meeting in Brussels, where in spite of the continued paralysis regarding the bloc's position vis-à-vis -vis the American peace initiative for the decades-old Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the European Union has finally agreed upon launching a new naval and air mission in the eastern Mediterranean for the purpose of stopping arms from reaching warring factions in conflict-ridden Libya. Ich glaube, dass es in Libyen auch um die Sicherheit Europas geht und deshalb muss sich jeder bewusst sein, dass wir einen Beitrag dazu leisten müssen, dass unsere Sicherheit hier in Europa gewährleistet wird. Diejenigen, die in erster Linie an Migrationsfragen denken, die müssen wissen, dass man Migrationsprobleme auch nur lösen kann, wenn Libyen kein... Okay, um, before he continues, and I'll tell you, he's just talking about migration, why they're doing this stuff. I want to tell you why Europe is getting involved. So the UN has taken over that part of Tripoli and Libya, right? And they have also provided all maritime access to Turkey. This is really pissed off. Greece, Cyprus, Israel, pa um, you know, pa Palestinians, of course, uh, Syria, and Jordan. So all these nations are up in arms, including Turkey, because that's where, you know, their huge naval bases. So now Turkey's coming in. And it's like, yep, we got a green light. We're coming in. We're doing whatever. And now what they're worried about is, is that the Libyan National Army joining forces with Russia, joining forces with Egypt, joining forces with Israel, Palestine, Jordan, Greece and Cyprus. This turkey thing can blow up in their face. And if they lose control of that central district, district, it's all done. And this is why this guy is talking about we have to solve Libya so it's not a failed state. We have to have security measures. We can't talk about migration. You mean stealing oil. You mean what Clinton did for you because you were all part of the same. Clinton was supposed to be the queen of all this stuff, right? Uh, underneath the crown, of course, because she comes first. But this is what's happening, you guys. Now they're on measures. Oh, yeah, we're just going to go to Libya and figure it out. No, you're not. Because, you know, Russia's not going to hit at the Middle East. It's going to come down from the north. And the fact that Russia is going to be coming down from the north to take on Turkey, you know that Greece and Cyprus are going to jump in and come in from their west and from their north down to the African shores. And they're all going to close up and take it down. Europe is running scared and Idlib is the hotbed. I, I said this two years ago, that city is going to be where it sparks. Ein failed state bleibt, sondern wenn wir Sicherheitsstrukturen haben, mit denen man zusammenarbeiten kann.
una missione che blocchi l'ingresso delle armi in Libia. Lo voglio spiegare con good relations with Turkey. Ankara's support opposing sides in the conflict over control of the strategically situated country. Tensions between the two powers persist in Israel's northern neighbor Syria. In spite of their deep-rooted strategic differences, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov insisted that Russia maintains good relations with Turkey. Это не означает, что мы должны во всем соглашаться. Я вообще считаю, что полного согласия не может быть ни по одной проблеме в отношениях между любыми двумя странами. That was a good answer. So I'll just tell you what he said. He said, you know, just because we have we have good relations, but it doesn't mean that we agree on everything. Right. So this is what they're telling you. And here is um, what happened. Uh, Turkey actually threatened an imminent attack today on Syria. Let me play you this little clip. Tayyip Erdogan has warned of an imminent military operation in Idlib amid ceasefire talks. The threat follows recent fatal clashes. Russia's government has urged restraint. Russia and Turkey failed to reach an agreement during talks in Moscow aimed at taking steps to ease violent unrest in the Syrian province of Idlib, Russia's top diplomat said on Wednesday. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said Syrian government forces, which have been undertaking an offensive in Idlib, were upholding previous agreements on the region, but also reacting to provocations. Militant attacks on Syrian and Russian forces in Idlib were continuing, he said. Russia and Turkey back opposing sides in the Syrian civil war, which nears its ninth year, with Moscow supporting Syrian President Bashar Assad's forces and Ankara backing some rebel groups. Russia and Turkey back opposing sides in the Syrian civil war, which nears its ninth year, with Moscow supporting Syrian President Bashar Assad's forces and Ankara backing some rebel groups. We unfortunately failed to reach the desired result in our talks with Russia, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said. Although the talks will continue, it is true that we are very far from meeting our demands at the table. The failure to reach an agreement comes amid heightened tensions. Deadly clashes earlier this month left 13 Turkish troops dead in Idlib, a northwestern province that borders Turkey. And so I told you all about that. I told you Idlib. I told you it's the center. And the reason I told you is because, you know, that's the epicenter that we should all be focusing on, the eastern Mediterranean. And here is where um, there was a threat Pose. Take a listen. In spite of the repeated Turkish warnings, Russian fighter jets mounted heavy airstrikes in Aleppo province as the Syrian army, supported by Iranian-backed militias, managed to reconquer significant parts of the northwestern region, including Aleppo city. While the Syrian force wait, so you're saying Russia was attacking where the Iranian-backed militants of Syria had taken over Aleppo. So you mean Russia's not working with Iran, they're attacking him. Do you see how you could see the truth in how they report, but they report it in a way that you totally miss it? Need to point that out, right? Forces were warmly welcomed by the local population, with numerous celebrations reportedly erupting across the city. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad declared in a televised address Regardless of threats voiced by Turkey, the battle to recapture all of Syria will persist. Yeah, 
He said the the battle to recapture all of Syria is going to happen regardless of some of the empty bubbles of sound coming from the north um, as the battle of the of, of liberating um, Syrian soil, crushing terrorism and achieving stability. What else? I just muted him. Okay. So advances, Turkey has reportedly deployed additional forces and armored vehicles to Syria's Idlib region. Speaking at a gathering of his ruling AK party in Istanbul, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan reiterated his previous threat. Unless the Syrian regime forces withdraw from northwestern Syria, the Turkish military will launch an operation to drive those forces back. It is important to know that such an operation could mean open conflict between Turkey and Russia. Şu anda Suriye'de en aciliyet kespeden yer olan He says the solution in Idlib right now at the moment. Dipteki çözüm rejimin saldırganlığının bir is that the Syrian regime stop its aggression as soon as possible and withdraw to the borders. Bir an önce durdurulması ve daha önce varılan anlaşmalardaki sınırlara çekilmesidir. That are in the agreement. Aksi takdirde Şubat ayı bitmeden biz bu işi Otherwise we will handle this by the end of February. We would be pleased if we can do this with the support of our friends. Yapacağız. Bunu dostlarımızın desteğiyle gerçekleştirebilirsek memnuniyet duyarız. Yok. If we have to do it the hard way, we're also up for that. Bu işi zor yoldan yapmamız gerekiyorsa biz ona da varız. What a problem. So remember how I was talking about how they wanted those miles into Syria, how they were extending and pushing the Turkish border because Idlib is important. Idlib is, um, is important, is an important location strategically because this is how you take over the Eastern Mediterranean coast. I've said that before. And Tartus is on the Mediterranean coast of Syria and Idlib. Once you control that, you control that coast. Period. Even though it's not on the coast, you do control the coast. And that is the strategic point. Alexander the Great used it and everybody knows it. So this is where Erdogan has been pushing and pushing and Russia's like, no, man, you're going to be taking my base. No, I'm not doing this. We're not doing this. I signed a mutual defense agreement with Syria and I'm supposed to defend them just like we've signed as a nation with other nations. So you can't sit there and say, oh, Russia is getting involved. Russia has a mutual defense agreement. You let me build a huge naval base here. I will support you in any war you are. And if you heard even the misstated discombobulated report you heard that there's a Syrian army and then there's terrorists that are Iranian backed that are working with Turkey but yet in the introduction it was said completely different so this is where war is erupting this was a threat of war and Turkey turned to the EU and what did they do oh we're just gonna go there and like hang out for Libya totally really totally so here is where it's coming down to it. And I love the fact that President Trump has completely kept out of this cycle in these discussions because he's going to let Russia take control. He trusts that they know what to do and he's already beefed up the Mediterranean. So we're good. And let Europe come out with their tinker toys and float down the Mediterranean and see how quick... Nations of the EU will be like, ah, oh, no, 
this is wrong, and it's going to be full out blown war. Idlib is the is the epicenter of this. I've been saying it for years. Epicenter. History likes to repeat itself, but in other realities, other parallel realities, this is where it comes down to it. Let's see. Since this one is on the three six nine, if it works. This is what we have to see. Can we push it through? Because we finally have a leader that will not take no for an answer. America first is really important because America cannot survive if there is not mutual respect among different nations. And right now we're seeing Europe bring their teeth out. They said it. We can't just keep saying, oh, we're like really concerned. We need to show. We need to be aggressive. We need to move on things. And that's exactly what they're doing with their deployment of air and Navy down in the Eastern Mediterranean. Do you trust Europe? Do you trust them? The ones that stole sovereignty from nations where nations voted no, but it turned into a yes. I don't. I'll see you all in just a bit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. That was a short break. And imperative, because I like messages that I agree with to go on. Like, obviously, my advertisements, I choose. Um, and I pick and put them on there. And I don't get paid to put those on there. Uh, because, you know, we always promote and we always support each other in the smallest way we can, largest way we can, whatever we can do. And, you know, that's where we need to kind of just sit back sometimes and remember that believing in good and prayer really does change our outlook. So I definitely want to play a song because I know I have a few people that are driving and they're going to totally love this. Um, But before I do that, I want to remind everyone, you know, as a, as a person, aside from being on the radio and, you know, with my actual name writing articles, I've told you many times that I have many pen names and many people have many pen names. Uh, actors have fake names, uh, that they use in order to, um, conceal their identity. So do writers and journalists, And the reason I say this is because many, many times we have found things written that seem odd, you know, or writers, you know, for shows like The Simpsons or something, right? Odd coincidences. But, you know, I'm just going to take it back to the, to the, to the one statement that I've made many times. Time is not like you see it. It is not linear. Math is not linear. Life is not linear. Your, your experiences are not linear. And so just think of that and enjoy this amazing, amazing, amazing tune. I love it actually. So. 
never stop believing that there's good out there looking after each and every one of us. That's one thing we should do. And the reason I say this is because we have eyes every, everywhere at every given time with flies on every single wall to make sure that good always prevails, no matter how dark it looks. And, uh, you know, I say this and I so have to incorporate it, even though I know the truth behind it. So, uh, you just have to think now what we are seeing happening. Remember I said, Africa is coming. Pompeo's in Africa. And I was actually surprised to see someone kind at um, the meeting that was, uh, that took me back really hard, Um, which makes me think that an ulterior plan has been put in place. Now we talked about how China had penetrated and taken pretty much over Africa. And I know that president Pompeo is in there to buffer the situation of their backup uh, and, and to reinforce liberation. Cause when everyone is free, it's kind of like a good manager, right? If a good manager is giving independence to everyone and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we're the managers, right? The manager is good. There's only one, you know, ruler of our lives, and that is the creator. But when everyone feels that they independently have control of their domain, then this is how we win. This is how good prevails. And this is how harmony in a more organized chaos, right, can happen. It's that middle ground because from chaos comes structure and from deconstructing structure, we get chaos. The good middle balance is where we want to be until we all figure out and become a little bit more enlightened, I would say. So what people need to think is look at how many things are being exposed. We've been talking about the Logan Act, for example, and here we have, you know, Senator um, Chris Murphy putting out his crimes and talking, you know, to the Iranian uh, regime and telling them, you know, things when he's not supposed to. They're inserting themselves completely. You know, He even said he went to Ukraine to a small coffee shop to meet the new chief U.S. diplomat in Kiev. Well, um, we all know where that coffee shop is. Everybody likes it. It's kind of like a Denny's for um, locals. He talks about, he wrote it out on Medium. He put it out this morning. I was expecting him to just go on CNN and talk. And he met with Zarif at his hotel suite with no one there. He wanted to ask him for help in Yemen. How are you going to ask him for help in Yemen when Yemen is, you know, completely taken over by Al Qaeda? You know, I actually feel bad for people that work for leaders in Al Qaeda and these, you know, jihadis, these movements because they are the most lost. They don't even know that they are being used by people that are a little bit smarter than them. Even though they are mercenaries and they will go to the highest bidder, 
They are merely manipulated. Their jihadi cause is a mere fixation that doesn't exist. They are pawns in those that are grander's plan. They are simply the muscles that they want. And this is something sad. We should pray for them. Just like we should pray for the swamp. Because yesterday, while everyone was freaking out, oh my gosh, like he let all these people and this governor and that one. I was like, man, I tweeted it out yesterday. First thing I tweeted out was what? Whoa, what's that governor going to tell us? Because, you know, this is how we get to the bottom of it. We need to start lighting little fires around them, kind of like, you know, those witch circles where they put salt so bad spirits can't come in. Well, now what we're doing is containing them with little fires everywhere. So they're in there constantly trying to put them out. And instead of throwing water on it, they're throwing gas. They're burning themselves slowly. And Seth Rich is in the middle of it. Seth Rich is coming out because everything is there. They're hiding it. (laughs) They're hiding all the information, all of it. They don't want you to have it. Why? Because then you're going to understand just how rotted at the root our government is. How is a citizen ever going to trust the intelligence community again with this rogue wannabe FBI, CIA, DOD type thing? This is why people like the undersecretary had to go. That's how far it goes. Oh, it's because he's not doing the Trump agenda. No, it's because he's corrupt. He was there as the last arm to cause like impeachment. This is what they want. They wanted to call him on as a witness. They wanted to hang the DOD. The, you know, they wanted to just take everyone down because this is how terrified they are. You know, Seth Rich, do you think he knew just what a big deal, what he did was? Do you think he probably didn't even know what he had in his possession? And that's the thing. It's like the pretty girl that doesn't know how pretty she is, right? He had no idea what he had in his possession. And that's why he was so aloofish with it and trusted the wrong people just because you sleep with someone just because you know you hang out you have drinks maybe you're dating whatever or they're your roommate and they know everything about you doesn't mean you can trust them because what they do is is they insert long-term plans by your side kind of like the ones that i see that have penetrated uh people that we would believe would go forward And one might say, well, it's necessary that you mingle with the bad in order to maintain some kind of stability and balance in some upper hand, right? To respond. It isn't the case here. This young man had no idea what he had, had no idea. And he had no idea that he is the one that's going to bring them all down. Right now we have people from all sides, all corners of the planet talking about Assange. Talking about how his brain is becoming jello. 117 doctors saying that the crown is melting his brain. Then we have 
people that are pretending that they're conservatives, pretending that they're for the people, pretending that they're America first, but work with like things like, uh, I don't know, um, code pink, right? Code pink. Like, (laughs) how did they end up writing for the Gateway Pundit again? Code pink. Advocating that Assange should never come to the U.S. because they will get that he will get hurt. He will be in prison forever for life. No, he won't. Because he is going to hand over the keys to the kingdom, the keys that even WikiLeaks themselves do not have. Because one thing you learn, or one thing you get to do when you're someone like Julian Assange, is learn about some truths that are really hard to swallow. And learn how to walk that line and learn when it's time to say things and when it's not. Proving ground from Japco, proving ground from others. He knew exactly what line he needed to walk. He knew how to hide things. He knew how to remove things. And he knew how not to be monitored. Remember, when I was younger, I remember how he hacked the system. At the age of like 16, I was in awe. I was like, man, and he isn't even one of the picked. This guy has everything we need to you know, not drain the swamp as it is going round, round, round. It'll just throw the floor out from under them. Now, I know a lot of people are like, oh, George Soros, George Soros. He's the master. He's not a mastermind, you guys. He is your front face. Remember in my other show, I told you the 10 most richest, the 10 that have the most land. You don't see Soros in any of that, do you? Because those that have the most land are the ones that have the actual leaders, crowns and all. It's all coming to the surface slowly. And this is where they panic. Because we have an administration that knows when to give information, when to provide purposeful disinformation, and when to strike. And even though a lot of us are so tired of, and I'm tired of it too. I'm, I'm with you guys tired of this. Oh, you must be patient. We have to understand that when we come to the point that democracy has now changed to democratic socialism, this is where evil peaks because this is where lines get blurry on what is allowed and what isn't allowed, what is, um, doable and what doesn't, um, how do we say what is morally acceptable? And you're going to say, well, what does that have to do with Seth Rich? Well, that's what Seth Rich had. When you see plans and agreements, when you see organ harvesting documented, organ negotiations documented, how do you give that to the public? How do you provide it to the public? How do you speak of such horrific crimes and say, wait a minute. So this has been going on and no one's done anything. This is, this is going to be one of the biggest rebellions ever globally. So how do you fix it? Organs being harvested. I talked about it years ago and I mention it every now and then how all these bodies 
washed up in the Mediterranean and all of them had no organs in them. Do you think, okay, obviously the mainstream media didn't tell you, but do you not think that that document or where the target destination was for these things, you know, wasn't in a document? How many did we buy? How many, how many did the U.S. buy? Now, think, I could tell you it could have been something like a million hearts, right? But the people actually receiving them are just like less than 0.1% here. These are horrific crimes. These are all documented too. Documented. And then they make you think, oh, it's the emails. Nobody cares about your stupid emails. Your emails are nothing. It's like, you know, cotton candy when what you really have is like a, you know, a glass of chopped ice to drink. That's how big the difference is. These are the things that are there. Remember, the person that was running for office at the time had gotten away by mocking a child being raped and getting the guy off. Remember how I told you Bloomberg, his comment about gray matter, that's bigger than you know. He's mini gray matter though, mini. And the reason he's on a pedestal right now and pushing, ooh, blackmail, blackmail. And you know what? Who knows? It could be some ID that's blackmailing them. Brennan, you know, who's blackmailing mini gray matter to, to do what is needed? Hmm? Is it the Nazi Soros? No. Nah. He's just the guy pushing the money. He's the guy pushing the narrative. Who is it that does it? These are the questions that every single person should be asking themselves as they see the news cycle through their feed, through their television. They need to remember that Assange had given Dana a hard drive. They need to know. They need to know that we already have everything we need. And you know what sucks? is that President Trump could not take the hard drive. But that's okay. Because I don't know who or what, but for some reason, at an earlier point in time, via intervention, Seth was guided by one of the best. I have to believe that. And this is why I say don't stop believing. Because then none of us would have had portions of this DNC server, you know, Assange is going to be coming here and I'm telling you that he's not going to jail and he knows it and he just has to stick with it. His dad has to look like he's fighting it. Everybody has to look like he's fighting it and they know that that's what's going on. That's what sucks. What sucks is, is that the monsters that rule this world, these monsters, because that is exactly what these creatures of night are, monsters know what the plan is. And no matter how many times they'll amplify it on TV, how he's going to go to jail forever. You have to look at their little minions that have penetrated the ability of us to speak to one another. Those that have written for conservative outlets that follow things like Code Pink and Meyer Serial Killers, those types, you must 
carefully pay attention to. Those that insert themselves in certain things that they shouldn't. Those that... Those that are trying to push the narrative that evil wants. We're going to hear people saying that, you know, Julian Assange's attorneys are going to be saying that, you know, we had offered him a full pardon and there's witnesses that say it and, you know, all of this stuff and, you know, it is um, so incredible because now what they're going to say is that, and this is why his brain was being turned into jello, that he says that, yeah, he told me that I'd come and he'd set me free if I say that Russia didn't do it. And that's BS because we have everything recorded. We already know and we already have the server. So here is where we're going to see. Remember, I told you Assange is coming. Remember, I told you Snowden is here. These are the things that you need to be aware of because this is why they delayed our time, you know, so slowly this month because they needed to find a way to reformulate the conversations. This is why I've only mentioned and not elaborated. So right now, what you need to do is maintain impartiality, understand where we are at and where we're going, and do not allow them to tell you what the real narrative is. Because Julian Assange is going to be safe. Julian Assange is coming to the United States. And they could do anything they want and they won't be able to stop it because we already have it. So look at the focus in the next 24 to 48 hours as the time approaches for him to come here. On that note, I want to wish everyone a fabulous evening. God bless from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio. 